So um, welcome to the very first session of ASLH in 2012. Um, I congratulate you for finding this room. <laughs> it was a little difficult. I felt like it was a Harry Potter moment there at one point. <laughs> but anyway, my name is Tim Grove, and I am uh, Chief of Education at the National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., but another hat I wear in my volunteer role at ASLH is I write and I originated and write the History Bites column, which appears in History News, which is the quarterly publication of ASLH. So I hope you all read History News, and hopefully you have seen my column. Um, first of all, we want to ask who you are. Before I introduce the, the panelists, let me ask who you are. So how many of you would, would define yourself as an administrator or director type? Raise your hands. Good. Good. We're happy that you folks are here. Um, how about educator types, interpreters? Okay. Any curators, research people? Good mix. Collections, archives? Okay. Marketing, communications, development? Good. Excellent. Good the gang's all here. Which we now call advancement at our place. Everyone's trying to remember what to call it. Anyway, so um, the history of this session, before I get uh, introduced to the panelists, the history of this session is I, I, did a, I chaired a session last year in Richmond um, where we were talking about the Horizon Report, Museum Edition. I hope you're all familiar with that. It comes out almost every year now, if not every year. And it just talks about what's on the horizon regarding technology for museums, and it talks about some of the trends and the challenges, and uh, identifies the next five years, different technologies coming out that most museums, many museums, will be facing. And um, so one of the topics that came up in that session was the lack of a digital strategy. And that was one of the challenges that the report listed that was that most museums do not have a digital strategy. So I asked, pulled the audience, which we had about 80, and only one or two people raised their hands and said they had a digital strategy. And the panelists were a bit surprised. So I thought to myself, you know, we need to talk more about digital strategies because I think it's something we all struggle with. or We're all struggling with changing technology, I think. So that's why we have this session. And I thought, well, what can I do to help us? And I thought of a session where I interviewed some of the top people who, the leaders in the field basically, who are doing a great job with digital strategy. And uh, I came up with two excellent ones who I'm very glad agreed to come to this, this uh, session. So let me introduce them and they can fill, fill in about themselves a little bit. But uh, Rose Sherman is Director of Enterprise Technology at the Minnesota Historical Society. I think there's more to your title than that. But uh, anyway, she's been very active and I'm I'm proud to say, this is really, really cool, that she was just named Nonprofit CIO of the Year for the Twin Cities, just in the last month, I think. Yeah. So, so you want to tell us a little more about what you do? Mm -hmm. um, good morning, everybody. I uh, have been with the Society for 13 years. Um, prior to that, I was 17 or 20 years in the private sector, working for a Fortune 500 company. Um, I'm responsible for our infrastructure, which is all the networking and hardware and so forth, for about 20 sites. So we are two museums, a major library, and about 15 historic sites that we support. I also am responsible for the web and mobile development for my organization, and we do that for you know, everything from collections to a website for every historic site. And uh, in addition to that, I have um, business, some business development responsibilities, and the museum store at our main museum reports to me. I have to say, I've been writing the column for many, many years, and I'm always looking for good examples to show to the field. 
and so many come from Minnesota, and, and I keep getting told you can't keep writing about Minnesota, so <laughs> <laughs> you're doing great work there, Rose. Thank you. Um, the other s panelist is Nick Honeysett. He's head of administration at the J. Paul Getty Museum in Los Angeles, and I'm really thrilled that he could join us. He's actively involved with AAM. He's also connected to the Rising Report. You contributed to the, mm -hmm. the panel that reviewed the Rising Report. I don't know exactly how this put together. Maybe you could I can explain talk about it. it but um, tell us a little bit about yourself. So Nick Honeysett, um, uh, head of administration at the Getty Museum. It's a small local history museum in the Santa Monica Mountains <laughs> in, uh, in California. Uh, despite my title, I'm a, a self-proclaimed uh, recovering technologist. Um, before going to the Getty, I worked for a company called Cognitive Applications. Uh, they're now called CogApp, um, who were uh, fairly... Uh, did a lot of work certainly in the 90s in helping museums and galleries implement technology solutions, um, kiosks, uh, websites, all those kinds of things. So I joined the Getty actually as an IT manager um, and uh, I'm actually in my third job uh, at the Getty which is head of administration and I oversee the operations among other things at the Getty um, and I oversee the, uh, the kind of the programmatic technology component that the uh, Getty has, and I'm and I'm going to spend as we go through the um, the session. I'll I'll explain how we're organised because uh, it it may give you a, a different insight into how to organise kind of technology. And so the Horizon Report is essentially a new media consortium have a team of people who kind of just aggregate all this information about technology and trends and challenges and all that kind of thing. And then a bunch of us come in and we help kind of sift through those things. And it's kind of like a crowdsourcing approach where you, you read some, some technology development and you, you comment on it, you like it, um, and that gets, there's normally around 30 people who, who do that. And then there's, it's a four-step process, and then one of the steps is, you know, are there any um, technologies that you know about or that you think are important to contribute. And so it's kind of an evolving process. So we're just about to start the next one. Um, actually, we all signed up last week to, to do the next one. It's a, it's a fantastically interesting process. Good. Um, so I have to point out that some of you might be thinking, well, they're from all large institutions. My institution is not large. You know, how can they help us? Well, I think we would all argue that any institution, no matter the size or the budget, needs to have a digital strategy, needs to know how to prioritize many different technologies that come out on the market and, and know where they're headed as far as technology. Actually, in, in my defense, um, I chaired AAM's Media and Technology uh, when it was a standing professional committee, now a network, and that was really concerned with how do you take technology and, and really get it to the, to the base level. So if you've been to AAM and seen those Technology 101 sessions, then uh, that's the kind of thing that we were doing. So. so we have a very basic format here. It's kind of a round table, but actually I'm just interviewing them. I have a bunch of questions. I'm going to ask them, and they're going to answer them. But we're hoping that you will ask them questions as we go along the way, and we're not going to save questions from the audience until the end. If you have a question... We're going to try to address that. We also hope at some point that there will be some interaction between audience members, too, because we can all learn from each other. Um, I have a first, I have a question for you, and I should ask you, how many of you, your institutions, have a digital strategy looking at the next five, three or to five years? Excellent. A few of you do. <laughs> good, good. So That's good. good. Otherwise, we'd have to talk about something else. <laughs> okay. Well, let's jump right in. The first question, again, the Horizon Report. The 2011 Horizon Report Museum Edition stated that creating a digital strategy is critical for institutions today. 
Do you agree? Start with an easy question. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. I mean, if you don't have a plan, you don't obviously don't know where you're going. And uh, technology, as you know, is a is an expensive investment, not only in the hardware um, and so forth, but actually the people resources um, more than anything. I'm and so um, I feel like a lot of the work we're doing with um, digitization for future content that should be available for future generations. We need to plan ahead for replacing that hardware and taking care of the the data that we that we have. And also, um, I, I think I'm going to advocate for that online customer, what I'm going to call customer-facing systems, which are online and web and ticketing and some other things. Um, those things should be treated like programs. And you should fund, we should be funding them with people giving care and feeding to online programs even after they're launched. They are not static like exhibits. One other thing, if, there, if we use a term that you don't understand and I don't catch it, I'm going to try to look for those terms, but raise your hand and we'll try to define. I totally agree with what Rose just said, but I think, I think my response would be more measured. Um, clearly, all of you are doing some kind of technology, yet no, none of you have got a plan. So you're kind of in a, a reactive mode. And I think the, the challenge with, with that is if, it's about scale, really. If you're a small institution and, and you're not used to um, strategize, having documented strategies, then, then maybe a, you know, a comprehensive digital strategy isn't appropriate for you. But I feel up, um, you've clearly got to know where you're going, and you want to get out of that reactive um, mode. Um, the, uh, the challenge is, what does that strategy look like? You know, is it a 50-page document that, that in detail you know, maps out where you're going, going over the next, you know, one to five years? Or, or is it something much simpler? And the, the challenge is I see a lot of digital strategy plans, and clearly they're written once and never read because they're so complicated. And I think what you have to do, that's fine to do that, to go through that process of thinking about uh, a strategy and the, and the things that are coming down the pike. But you definitely need to translate it into something uh, on the ground that that uh, is actionable by people who are kind of in the trenches doing this stuff. So we have a, a strategy at the, we have many strategies at the Getty, but um, we, I like to try and um, distill it down to a, you know, a few choice sentences or even a couple of words that helps people when they come across something to actually align with what the strategy is. So um, at the Getty we have, a, 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 that's distilled down to two words, which is access and sustainability. So if you come across, you know, if you come across a decision time where there's some technology, um, maybe some a social media platform emerges, you know, Pinterest, a great example, you know, who heard of Pinterest a year ago? Um, if you can, if you can give people the tools on the ground to make a decision about, okay, does this provide access? You know, should we jump into Pinterest to provide access to our collection? Clearly, the answer to that is yes. Pinterest is a great kind of front end to getting people, you know, involved with your collection. So that helps you translate what may be a very complex strategy down to something very actionable with, you know, by people on the ground. Um, and actually started going into the next question. We really should define what we mean by digital strategy. So you want to... You know, you, I think you've... It's funny, when, when you see the list serves for the various, you know, museum technology uh, groups, you know, whenever, you know, someone will raise their hand and say, has somebody got a digital strategy that you can share with me? And then there's a torrent of other emails saying, 
please share it with the group. I want to see it. You know, e everybody wants to see everyone else's strategy, and I'm not entirely sure that that, that works because I think you know, you know, think of a, a collections uh, strategy, for example. You know, do you really want to have the same collection strategy as you know a, a museum or a art gallery or a historic house? You know, it just it, I don't think it works. I think you've got to figure out what your clearly, hopefully, you know what your mission is, and you've got to figure out where you want to be, how engaged you want to be with technology. The, the challenge is about relevance, and you, you've got to understand that you know technology is changing all the time, and it's not going to stop. You know, it's not technology isn't going to stop and say, "Come on, you know, catch up." You know, we'll wait for you. It's just going to keep going. So you, you've got to have some plans in in um, in your hand to be able to deal with those kinds of things, and that's really what the the, the importance of a digital strategy is. It's about relevance and staying relevant and not having to be reactive when anything turns out. And we are defining it as, as the interface with the public, the more interpretive mm -hmm. collections-based material, not the infra IT infrastructure. Um, and then the question includes, do you, do you include e-marketing or e-philanthropy or revenue generation, digitization in your strategy? Spaghetti? I seem like I'm hogging the microphone. Um, I, I think it's a, I, I think it's a mistake to have uh, an e-marketing strategy or you know an e-philanthropy strategy. You know you need a strategy, you need a marketing strategy, and you need one component of that needs to be about you know digital and technology. So you don't want to, you know, museums and uh, you know cultural institutions have this problem of, for whatever reason, segregating out technology as this kind of thing over here. You know, it's a, it's a real kind of curatorial approach to, to it. It's, you know, let's categorize it, let's give it a session number, you know, technology is, you know, down the hall, third door on the, on the left. You know, that's a real problem. It's got to be totally integrated in it. And, and as long as you keep uh, thinking about technology as this defined project thing rather than something that's embedded, you, you're always going to have a challenge with it. You know, you've got to have a culture where it's it's part of the you know, it's part of the plan. It's part of the ongoing you know situation. It's like um, you know digitization, for example. Everyone thinks of digitization as this kind of project. Well, that's a that's a mistake. It needs to be part of your you know acquisition workflow, for example. It's got to be just embedded and. Um, I, and if you do it that way, then then you you can rather than kind of um, ad hoc funding projects to get things done, it comes embedded in your you know your operational uh, budget, and that's it's got to be there because wh while you separate it out, that's a that's a problem. You need that culture of it's part of everything. So how would you define it? And you can also tie that into what your institution has, what the kind of strategy you follow. Um, I have to first say that I have a hard time just focusing on the customer facing. It and it comes to back to the point of um, embeddedness because I feel like all of our digitiz you can't you can't have digitization or any web without some kind of infrastructure below behind it. You can't have people collaborating or um, sharing information with some kind of in information behind it. But that being said, I, I do um, I guess I look at things as we need to have, um, we do have customer-facing applications, which are the things like e-philanthropy, um, uh, everything from the back office uh, development system to the front uh, customer-facing part on the web uh, for joining and renewing and, and giving. Um, same for marketing, that 
the back office um, kinds of things to support graphic design and marketing plans is important, but it's also, you know, social media and so forth are all are part of that strategy as well. And uh, finally, I was going to say revenue generation. Um, we, you know, 10 years ago, we started selling uh, copies of death certificates um, in our state online, and that has really launched us off into e-commerce into many different ways, and so that is an uh, integral part of our our strategy, and now we're thinking about um, how we can sell uh, educational products um, on a subscription basis online. So what kind of strategy do you have at the Minnesota Historical Society? Um, well, we, first of all, we start with our institutional strategic plan, which we've just um, spent a few months uh, working on. And, and then we combine that with uh, something we're working on, logic models, um, outcome-based um, evaluation. Are you all, anybody familiar with logic models and so forth? So um, basically it's your, your inputs, uh, what you have available to do your work for the mission, um, what kind of outputs um, you have, and then you know really focusing on evaluating not only outputs but rather what are changes in behavior. So between these two things, um, we've been um, our, our strategy then follows down. And when I'm thinking specifically about our online strategy, uh, probably a lot of our processes are the same. But um, the, the so the next thing we do is just generate a list of projects, of which right now I have probably about 37 in our queue. And our strategy is to figure out uh, how do we decide how to prioritize that. And the, what we do is um, look at a certain set of criteria, and, and um, they can be like what's available funding, um, whether something's time-limited funding, like grant-funded. Um, another area I look at is, um, is it going to increase customer service or increase revenue? Um, or are we going to be able to avoid a cost, for example, um, increasing uh, employee productivity. So we kind of have this list of, um, of uh, projects, and we kind of check mark them against these different criteria. And typically what happens, the ones that come to the top are the ones that are time-limited by their funding. But we do try to make a balance between, um, and certainly give a lot of credence to the things that are going to increase customer service or revenue and balance out the rest. Did you want to say anything more about your specific digital plan? Uh, yeah, so... So the Getty, this, this is going to sound complicated, but I think there are some fundamental principles that actually may, may apply um, whatever size you are. So the Getty is um, a, it's four programs, one of which is the museum where I work, and it's overseen by a, a trust which is responsible essentially for the endowment, but also for a lot of centralized functions. So within the trust, there are things like, um, you know, HR and IT is in, in the trust, and it's we make a differentiation between the kind of hardcore IT stuff that we're not going to talk about, so the network, desktop, telecoms, um, and, and also financial and uh, HR applications. So our IT department is responsible for that kind of thing. They're responsible for the hardware s aspect of things. And then each of the programs have these technology uh, groups that are more about the programmatic side. So in the museum, that means the, you know, cl the collections management system, the digital ass system, those, those kinds of things. And then there's a kind of another layer underneath that where the, we don't have a CIO, so a chief information officer at the Getty. Um, we have a lot of CIOs and a lot of CTOs. 
essentially. We, we apply roles to various department heads around the Getty uh, in a kind of a CIO role. So, for example, our head of uh, imaging services is the, the kind of CIO for our digital asset management system. So they're making, uh, we call them the business owner. So they're making strategic decisions about that application. So they're, they're the ones who will uh, liaise and work with the, the vendor on that system. And then they work with our IT, IT department who designates some person who is the application owner who is l largely responsible for the kind of the, the technology piece of that, so the kind of chief technology officer for that. And now it sounds really complicated that you've got all these people in an information role and all these people in a, in a technology role trying to figure out how you know, to, to do all this stuff. And really the, the, the role of a, if you've got a big CIO, is about, you know, it's about integration, it's about broad strategy. Well, the, the, the truth is that you know, certainly for digital asset management, it's, um, that strategy is actually fairly well defined. You know, it's about ensuring that all the um, digital assets that are created are actually um, contained within the digital asset management system, go to feed the website or go to feed, you know, other things, uh, you know, cur curatorial departments, for example, and, you know, generate, you know, derivatives for their PowerPoints and all those kinds of things. So the requirement to integrate all the apps that you have isn't really there. You know, so a digital asset management system needs to interface with our collections management system. So really that's two people in our institution at the kind of business level discussing about integration requirements and then they will work with the, the kind of technology person in the IT department to kind of get that, um, the mechanics of that uh, done. So that's, that's kind of how we, how we work. And go ahead. How do you ensure that those mini CIOs kind of have the technology knowledge to be a proper liaison. They don't. Well, they don't really need the technology knowledge. I mean, you know, you want. Uh, I firmly believe that the uh, the information, you know, the, the CI. If you have one CIO in a in an institution, it's really someone who, and you know, that's about understanding the audience and and the information on large scale. You know, you don't want the danger is. Um, is if you have if you don't have those roles who are thinking about the business side of that, and that defaults the decisions on direction and strategy default to the the technology person, and that's a real problem because I've been a technology person and I guarantee that the technology person will will take some shortcuts in in strategy just because they know what's involved in in making those decisions. So you want to separate those things out and give authority to someone who understands the much larger picture of strategically you know where you want to go. So for example. You know, digital asset management, classic. You know, if you're a, if you're the the technology person on that, you know, images can be really big. And you know, if you're a technology person making those decisions, you might want to, you know, ratchet that uh, that kind of high res down a bit because you know the implications in storage and you know network and all those kinds of things. As opposed to, if you're the the kind of the information person, you, you know, maybe you're a curator. You know, you want real high quality images, real high quality details, and you don't want to you know you don't want to shirk on on that requirement just because there are some technology limitations. The other, th the other thing I'll say is a strategic plan also needs to be about process. You know, it's great to define technologies and where you want to be um, with those technologies, but you also want to think about process and how you get there. And I actually do have a, a handout, and it's um, there's this framework called the maturity capability model. And I'm going to read, it, it's, a, it's kind of a five-step process of 
trying to get you into a, into repeatable, and it doesn't have to apply to technology, but it, it, it works really well with technology. It's really about process. So it's a five-step, and you'll you'll get this. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna cover it at a high level so you understand, because otherwise the handout's gonna be meaningless. So it's five steps, and the base step is called initial. Step two is managed. Step three is defined. Step four is measured, and step five is optimized, optimizing. So I'll, I'll read the little tag. Well, let me just, uh, otherwise everyone will be trying to, okay. and if you're a guy, you can't read and listen at the same time, if you're like me. Uh, so step one, initial, see if this resonates. Uh, processes, if they are defined at all, are ad hoc. Successes depend on individual heroics and are generally not repeatable. Okay, sniggers, so many of us are there. So step two is managed. Basic project management practices are established and the discipline is in place to repeat earlier successes with similar, pro uh, similar projects. So really it's just a framework to try and allow you to, if you are doing this kind of very reactive um, crisis mode mechanism for doing projects, it kind of helps you build up towards that. So what you want to do is in this, in this uh step process, you figure out where you are and you try and ratchet up slowly and you try not to kind of jump back. So, you know, you pick, you, you have these processes, you try and document them and the next, the slate of projects that you have, you try and pick one that is going to fit into the process that you just defined. And then you try and get into this mode of picking projects that are, are repeatable and, and then get you successful. Now, I will say that um, strive for step three, which is defined, which is Processes are documented and standardized, and all projects use approved, tailored versions of the standard processes. Step four would be awesome if you get there. We Even we don't get there most of the time. Step five is really rare. So this is a, 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 a one-pager. The, the maturity capability um, model is actually quite comple uh, complex, and there, there are a number of books about it, but here's a one-sheeter that hopefully will help you just get in, in your mind that kind of framework of, of building up so you don't have these, you know, individual heroics that are not repeatable and everyone has a really hard time. Okay, switching gears a little bit, an another concern that was raised in the Horizon Report, the most recent edition, was that funding for technology is often not part of the core operational budget for an institution. And um, so the question I have for you, is it important for funding for technology projects to be part of the core operational budget, and why? So Rose, do you want to? I, I absolutely think it does. Um, thinking about uh, our online kind of um, systems, in my area, in my group, we have um, people that have been with me for a long time, web developers and so forth. And so by having in-house people to develop websites, we're able to, um, first of all, not work worry very much when we have to spend a lot of time educating maybe a contractor about what a museum is like and, and thinking about spending all that money. But also... You know, everything we do, we pretty much build on it again for the next application we do, and we and we use our experience, and we by ha keeping that kind of um, staff in house, we can uh, we have knowledge automatically transferred for the next project. But I also think it's not just about the web team in in the enterprise technology department. I believe it is also in the program areas that and and Nick was saying this before, and I I agree that it, technology. I don't think of it as something else 
as an extra. It's embedded. It is your program. So if you put out uh, an interpreted website, um, something that's telling a particular part of your history, for example, and I bet how many of you have got lesson plans for teachers on them, right? How many of you actually have staff ad actively going out and working with educators on how to really use that tool? It's one thing to just put the li That's great. And I'd love to hear your experiences of, uh, on doing that because it's one thing, I think, to put out a lesson plan, but to really go out and teach your customer how to use your tool is a very important thing, so it needs to be part of your budget. And then I think that also digital marketing and, and social media is very important to, um, to have part of your marketing and communications um, department. We were uh, the head of... the the father of our digital media strategy sitting back over there. And he, when he worked with me in technology, we, we I, mainly he, incubated social media. And I, I say we brought it into its preschool years, and then we turned it over to marketing for kindergarten and, and, and going on through its life cycle. So I think that that's a very important part as well. Yeah, I, mean, I can't stress enough how much you need to properly fund technology, and that's about having it in the operational budget. The, um, you know, when, when a new thing comes along, a new technology or, you know, maybe a new application to do ticketing or whatever, it's the, the, the normal practice seems to be you think about that, you think about the acquisition and the implementation piece of that application. So you, you find the money to buy it, you know, you pay for the service to install it, and then you think you're done. And that's, that's really a problem because, you know, the more technology, you know, the, the, unless you're really, really good, technology isn't falling off at the back. You know, you're gradually building up all these, these things and you're increasing your um, requirement to support all these things. And you have to, it, it, you know, it's not very sexy to go to your board and say, you know, um, well, it's sexy to go to your board and say, we want to get this application, you know, we want to do mobile tours in our, in our galleries. That's great. It's, it's an exposure. Um, uh, you'll find s probably sponsors who will get their name on that and will get in front of um, audiences. But um, the, and this speaks to what Rose was saying, is about you've got to have that infrastructure underneath. And you've got to be, you've got to be able to convince whoever your funders are, who is ever taking care of your budget, that you need to spend money um, at that level, ongoing money. You need to be able to guarantee that you do have some funds to be able to support the kind of infrastructure pieces of this. And if you can, you know, support operationally various projects that do touch um, the, uh, the user, your visitor, or, you know, either online or in, in the galleries. Y you've got to get into a, mo you know, technology's not going away. You can't rely year on year just ad hoc funding to support this kind of stuff. You've got to get it into your operational budget. What about <coughs> what about maintaining these sites? That's the the cost of doing business is these things have to be maintained. You, you, know, you can't just leave. You just can't just leave it. I mean, it's like your building. You know, you can't just leave your building and not do any maintenance on it. It's the same thing. Right, and I think that um, more and more we're. Um, how many of you accept uh, user input either directly into your website, not through social media, but um, like through sharing stories or? contributing photos or anything like that. So do you have people do you have people that continue to monitor that just to, you know, Okay. So I feel like that kind of thing if we're asking our public to gift us with their stories and their knowledge, 
then we need to be paying attention to it and either doing something to reflect it back in our customer-facing systems or um, just acknowledging them and thanking them for, for sharing it with us. I think that's great, and I, I think there's multiple ways to get the stories. The things I'm concerned about with social media is how temporal it is, and I feel like in a history organization that um, stories ought to be available for future generations. So we do a combination of both. Um, we did a, a, a major exhibit on the greatest generation, and, and um, we had a, a story-sharing component where people you know, told stories about their parents and grandparents, and I think it's really important for the next two generations to be able to have access to that information. And I'm not really sure how I'm going to pull it back out of Facebook unless you make a, an overt action to put it somewhere else in, within your institution. Yeah, I, I think that's a mistake. To have primary content on a platform that you don't control is, is a problem. I think the, um, you know, who's, who's still on MySpace? <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's the kind of poster child of of losing this stuff. I mean, it's fine to you know create some kind of feed on your own website and and feed that to Facebook. But if you're putting primary content on the social media platform, uh, you have you have no control. You know, social media should be a a kind of a, a recruitment platform. You know, you want to recruit people back to where you do control. Hopefully your content, which is your website. You know, you're the ones making decisions about your website, how long it's, it's going to remain around. So I think you want to, you certainly in terms of, of digital strategy in the social media arena, you want to understand that that stuff is temporary. You know, if, if Zuckerberg has his way, he's going to completely ruin Facebook. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a problem. You know, that's the, uh, that's the challenge with all this stuff. That was a great comment. How is that different than having a web developer on your team temporarily? It's, uh, I, I think it's a lot different. I mean, you've still got the platform. You know, you, you've got to make um, strategic decisions about the types of technology that you have on your on your website. You know, you don't want you don't want to bring in a web developer who is kind of in it for the technology and wants to implement you know his or her pet technology. You know, you want to be you you want to implement technologies that if they do get hit by a bus, you can just you know go out and find another one who has the same, you know, broadly the same skill sets. So let's uh, go for another question. Rose touched on this a little bit earlier, but how does your institution try to anticipate new technologies and decide which ones to adopt? The landscape changes constantly, as we all know, um, and this paralyzes some of the best leaders, of course. Um, what are some ways to embrace change and to anticipate? Well, uh, number one, uh, there's a lot of people through our organization that are looking at um, technology blogs and social media and, and trying to keep up to date with up on um, 
the latest trends. But the other things I always look to is what's the for, for, for the private sector doing? What, are, what kinds of strategies can I learn from them? And um, I also, one of my other big uh, groups I pay attention to is what's happening with technology and education. I mean, there's a very active group of uh, people in something called ISTE, International Society for Technology and Education, and they have a conference every year where 25,000 K-12 teachers attend, and they're talking about how to use technology in the classrooms. And so I, I pay attention, I subscribe to a lot of their um, listservs and so forth to find out what they're using. And then finally, um, I see, John, your, your question. I looked, to, I looked to for free websites and, and free trials. And, and, and I, you know, we don't write everything in-house. We don't create everything from scratch. We embed in key parts of what others can do better than we can do in our site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have specific technologies or blogs that you recommend? Um, one of the, I think that a lot of people like CNET, um, Mashable, um, TechCrunch. For technology, I would, wa- I would just go out to ISTE um, and, and try to look at some of the people that are blogging for them if you're interested in educational technology. Um, one of the things I do is subscri- excuse me, subscribe to something called Smart Brief. And in there, there's um, Smart Brief for leadership, entrepreneurship, but there's one for education as well. I think I would recommend, um, I mean, those, those are great resources for, for kind of broad topics, but what I tend to see is people have very specific di- requirements. And I think you might be better served joining some listservs where, that have active communities where you can post, you know, a question. You know, who, I, I'm going to, we need to pick a collections management system. You know, has anybody have any recommendations for uh, an institution that has, you know, five people and blah. So things like um, MCN, the Museum Computer Network, AEM's Media and Technology Network, there are, there are lists where you will get direct, you know, answers to questions that you have. And I think y- you kind of need all of it. You know, you need to follow some of these blogs th- to get the kind of broad strategy and trends, but then you also need help with the kind of real base level, you know, naive questions, for example. And, and these listservs are... There are active people on there who are more than happy to help answer, you know, very simple questions and give advice. Right. I forgot to mention that I follow what other museums are doing as well. Yeah. And those are great, e- even if you're just, a, you know, a, a stalker on those sites and just watch the, um, you know, the, the conversations. So getting back to the new technologies, let's use Facebook as the example. Facebook shows up and mm-hmm. gains speed and... Now everyone's jumping on the bandwagon, sees the potential for use, using Facebook for various Which is, you know, the, the, the challenge is, you know, Facebook, you know, you, you fish where the fish are. So you have to follow these trends because, you know, we, are, we need to find communities, we need to create communities around our collections and our programs and all those kinds of things. You need to go where all those people are going to capture them. But you've got to understand that they, you know, it's the, the swarm mentality. You know, they're swarming on Facebook right now and, you know, if Google gets their Google Plus to act together, you know, maybe then they all swarm off to, to Google Plus. So we don't know the future of Facebook, obviously. Um, so how do you, as an institution, set a boundary and kind of decide this is how much you're going to work with Facebook, but you're not going to cross that boundary? And I think it's more of a fund- fundamental question, I think. The, um, you've got to se- separate out the G from how you do stuff. So, you know, you're never going to – it's unlikely that you're going to change, you know, the way that you interpret, the, the kind of 
messages messages that you're trying to you know convey about your collection or your programs or you know performances or whatever whatever it is so you need you need a structure that is going to is going to allow you to do all that stuff without thinking about what the the end result the end technology is so there's a classic in in kind of hardcore terms of of managing information there's what's called a three-tier model which is about separating out the real kind of content and, and what you're doing uh, from the actual delivery platform and then there's kind of a magic piece in the middle that translates it so it takes this content maybe it wraps it up in html and then delivers it to a website or something or takes this content wraps it up into a mobile app you know xml or something and, and then delivers it so you've got to separate out those things you don't want to be doing stuff right at that core level that is that has already made a decision about where it's it's going to end up and where it's going to go because t- chasing technology is is a fool's errand um the the Getty recently did uh, uh, the foundation funded you may have um, read about it an online scholarly catalog initiative and really that was a uh, a project to think about what the what version two of a scholarly catalog is and clearly it's in the the digital domain um, and it wasn't you know when we s- when that project started we were making you know the decisions were okay we've got to build these scholarly catalogs to deliver them to a website well halfway through the iPad suddenly appeared. And then all of a sudden, that was a um, that was a deli- that was the delivery platform. So you've got a, the the organisations that had already made a commitment to delivering on a website completely scuppered, and then some other um, uh, institutions who'd made a decision to we'll worry about the technology, you know, when we've got all the content together and when we figured out how we want to present and what the function, the kind of broad functional demands are for a scholarly catalogue, which are about. You know, capturing notes and doing annotation and doing citation, and then wait till the last—you know, not the last minute, but towards the end—about okay, where are we going to deliver this now? And if you do that, you can package this stuff up and deliver it to multiple places because that's really what the requirement is now. It's about delivering to where where people are going to consume that, and it may be on a tablet, it may be on a website. You know, maybe in two years' time, it may be something else. Any questions from the audience? Okay. Um, <clears throat> next question is, how much experimentation should museums be willing to carry out? How do you address the riskiness of experimentation? Who would like to tackle that one? Sure. I, I was going to say, uh, I think some experimentation's um, always good. I mean, the saying says, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Um, but... Uh, you, I would say that we also don't always jump onto technologies and we kind of watch them a bit first and see, and see how they might fit into our organization along what Nick was saying. Um, but other things we do, um, and, I, and I know I'm not supposed to be talking about infrastructure, but um, digitization requires a lot of infrastructure. And, and so uh, we partner with um, academic or other government organizations. Um, I'm thinking specifically about things like digital libraries. We're part of the Minnesota Digital Library. And, um, you know, one of the things we have to be concerned about is, is not just images, but rather, um, you know, newspapers and, and digitizing those for, the, for future generations and so forth. And, and um, as an example, do you all know what a gigabyte is? Do you all know what a terabyte is or an exabyte? Well, a terabyte is a trillion bytes. Well, four years ago, the amount of terabytes we had on our network between digital collections and business use was probably about three and by the end of this fiscal year, we'll be up to 130. 
So um, I, you know, I have to look to other organizations to help partner to figure out how to deal with some of that growth. The um, I'll go back to what I was, uh, how I was describing how the Getty is organized. And um, so we have this IT department that is providing all that infrastructure stuff. And their digital strategy is very stable and, and doesn't, um, because you do need that you know, reliable infrastructure, they don't do a lot of kind of risky experimentation. They do a small amount just um, kind of measured, but really you want, a, you want a very stable digital strategy that is, is supporting your infrastructure. Then in the, in the programs, we, we try and in, um, engage a much more kind of nimble, responsive, and, and risky approach. And really, you've got to tell people that they can experiment and do things. You know, there are approaches like an agile approach where you do, you make a small change, you try it. If it doesn't work, you step back. You know, you don't want to do a huge one-off risky project and, you know, bet everything. You want to do the, um, there's actually the great book called uh, The Lean Startup, which uh, I'm blanking on the, uh, the author's name, but it's really just um, a, a mechanism of how do you, in an environment that's changing a lot, how do you change you know, with it without exposing yourself to too much? And the, you know, the thing about social media and these, all these platforms is you, you've got to let so, someone on your staff experiment. And you've actually got to give them permission to experiment because you can't just magically know about a, a social media platform. You've got to do that investigation. And you know, ma managing risk is, is, a, is, a, is a management challenge. You know, if you take a leaf out of Google's um, playbook, which is their 80-20 rule, so every Google employee has to spend 80% of their time on their, their kind of their day job, and then they are allowed 20%, which is you know one day a week, to, to experiment with something. It has to be related, but a, a similar approach I think is is what's needed certainly in the social media arena, where you know you you specifically tell your employees it's fine to be surfing the web, to be looking at these social media platforms, to be investigating, because you've, you've got to learn this stuff. You can't just, um, you know, you've got to make an informed decision about it. You've got to give people the opportunity to experiment and try this stuff out. And that's how you minimize, you know, that's how you minimize the risk with, with uh, knowledge and understanding of what these things are. I mean, you kind of you want. How do you evaluate the okay. experimentation? You, you've got to so you've got to set up some guidelines initially, you know, and maybe um, there's what's known as the Scrum approach, which is you know all those kind of projects that you think about or small investigations that you want. You build a big list of them, and then you just kind of pick them off. So you know, maybe you have a list of ten things to look at, and maybe the the metrics are you know how if it's a social media platform. So imagine imagine it's a year ago and. Um, no one's really heard of Pinterest, but um, maybe someone in your staff has, and you want to understand whether that's an appropriate um, platform to you be get, for you to be getting into. So you want to look at things like, you know, exposure. You know, a, a year ago it was, you know, invite only. Um, you know, how many people are, are on there. So you want to look at these kind of metrics around it about, you know, is it worth your while getting in there? And then you want to, you can't, you need to look at, certainly in social media, you, you want to look at the trends. So you actually do want to space over time looking at a particular platform because you want to see whether it's, you know, which way is it going? Is it going up? Is it going down? Um, and then maybe your, your criteria is, you know, when it is, if it's a closed invite-only system, you probably want a measured approach and say, you know, we'll look at this in three months, for example. And if, 
and maybe you set some benchmarks of we'll get into this when you know maybe it's the museum down the road that has a lot more resources than you you know maybe you make a decision of when they get into it maybe you know hopefully they've got more resources and they've spent more time looking at it so maybe that's an opportunity you know that's when we get in there so it's kind of hard to say what those specific so when Minnesota and the Getty get into it then you follow that's right <laughs> But you know, we had exactly the, we had exactly the same process. We have someone who's who's concerned with social media, um, and you know, part of her job is to look at these uh, social media platforms. And um, again, she's got this you know access and sustainability kind of benchmark. And then at some point, when it opened, um, or when the news that it was going to open came up, you know, she sent an email around said, "This Pinterest, you know, it's a way of aggregating images. It's all about you know we can create." Um, collections on this site it's closed right now but in a month's time it's going to be open and the the number that you know as it's in closed system the numbers are maybe half a million people that's not a bad you know but the expectation is that it will you know rapidly ramp up so when it um uh when it did open up we kind of dis we gave her kind of permission to spend time doing that so you know now part of your job becomes when you you know if you can embed it into your daily workflow that's great rather than having to have you know specific project to it and we um so we made the decision yet part of your time is to you know contribute to pinterest and you know we have in the space of two months i think we have uh, half a million followers so are you evaluating the success based on number of followers or? yeah and, and so uh, our evaluation is uh, the number of followers that, that join, clearly that's a metric of, you know, if you're in the business of creating other stuff that you do, you know, maybe you come up with some predetermined thresholds about, okay, if, you know, if we only ever get to a thousand people following us, maybe we don't want to devote too many resources to it, or maybe we want to ratchet back, or maybe we want to devote more resources to it because we think it's important and we want to get those numbers up. Um, the Certainly for for half a million people, you know, how, how can you not, um, as a kind of service to our community and, and bringing people in, how could you not, you know, devote some resources uh, to that? So it's kind of hard, you know, you have to be comfortable with what metrics and, and thresholds you want to assign to things, whether you think it's worth the return on the investment that you're, that you're putting in. Because the, if it's, there's, there's no kind of hard return on Pinterest. I mean, you create communities and you get exposure and you get recognition from, you know, maybe another uh, benchmark is you get recognition from your peer institutions about you, your active involvement in, in it. And, you know, your, your peers say, wow, you know, so-and-so's got, you know, 10,000 followers on Pinterest, you know. And that's, you know, that's as valid a benchmark um, as uh, visitor, you know, visitors, users. I, I would just add that... Um I think it also depends on what you're evaluating. So, for example, if one of your goals is to increase revenue, you know, you can use social media, right, to to draw to. I, how many people are still using Foursquare? But you know, it, a year ago that would have been a, a big thing to you know check in and and get some kind of a discount. So, you could measure by, and that would be very micro kind of measurements. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yes.
Smithsonian and Minnesota and the Getty can take risks, experiment with potential. Actually, some really effective small organizations, the American Philosophical Society, teasing the Philadelphia, where I developed the first geocaching project in Philly. So actually, you know, tiny organization, old, but still very tiny, and you know, they did this really great ghost history tour of I, you know, I totally agree with you. And often, larger institutions are looking at small institutions because they are much more nimble. They work quicker. Yeah. You know, don't don't assume because we have all these resources that we can devote that time. Because um, of the giant bureaucracy, and the, the yep. decisions have to be made. Absolutely. So start experimenting, all you small institutions. Okay, here's a big one. Lack of money and staff resources are always cited as reasons for not adopting new technology. What advice would you offer a leader who gives these reasons? I'll start. Okay, so um, first of all, I think uh, I would say to our leaders that we need to pay attention to the demographics and the psychographics of our customer groups. I mean, when you think about your K-12, I mean, how, how many people do not have K-12 as a major audience in your institution? So you're, really? What, where do you come from? Okay. Okay. Well, you know, students have never lived in a world without, the video, without video games and the Internet, right? And so they're really used to... Um, quick bursts of information and, they, and recognizing that they have different learning styles. We all have different learning styles, but we're really focused on it now. And so um, the other, uh, we need to be delivering programs, and a lot of that requires technology to be able to produce videos because, you know, they can learn in short video snippets, for example, or maybe through gaming, which is a little bit more, more of an investment, but um, it might be something that is really important to your institution to engage uh, K-12 learners. Also looking at baby boomers. You know, um, there, some of us are going to be retiring at advancing rates over the next 15, 20 years, and uh, we have more leisure time, and we also, more than half of American adults now have smartphones. We are accustomed, most of us are accustomed to having the Internet in our pocket and available to us anywhere we are. And sometimes we want to learn about history where it happened, and it's not necessarily inside your museum. It may be in places, you know, that are 50 miles more away, or they may be a walking tour that's not, you know, like it's in your downtown area, not where your museum is. So, you know, we need to be making investments in technology to, um, to serve our audiences um, in the way they want to be served. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, Rose. And, and I think... Um, you know, not. Um, I think the message to your director is it's about relevance, and and it's a false economy to ignore some of this stuff because it can build up and and make make it worse. So, for example, you know, you, imagine you have a collections management system, and you your director refuses to allow you to upgrade on a you know a yearly or bi yearly um, uh, kind of regime. At some point the technology is going to, without the upgrades and the updates, is going to become obsolete, and then you're going to need a really big project to to get yourself out of that hole, as opposed to if you'd kept um, up with the either the maintenance or the, the small investment over time, you've spread that cost. And that's really what we were saying earlier about getting monies in your operational budget to be able to do these things, because spending a small amount of money 
um, regularly is is much better than then having to be completely stuck and having to you know fundraise or sponsor or you know horse trade to do some kind of big project that then sets you back um, you know however long so I, I think it's a false economy um, and uh, you have to try and convince your your director if that's the case and and maybe you don't get into you know new technology maybe you know certainly the Getty is a an largely an institution that doesn't um, we're not at the cutting edge you know we do wait for technologies to evolve a bit we do wait for applications and operating systems to go through a couple of revisions just to make sure that that stuff is, is stable and, and isn't going to be problematic. I think you have to be, as an institution, you have to be comfortable with how aggressive you want to be. And clearly, you know, it's about relevance. You know, if everybody's got a smartphone and you're not doing anything to address that audience, you know, you're, you become r irrelevant. Now, so add to that that you know so what's where's the trade-off if we can't you know we need more staff and, and money and other resources and we'll talk about funding here in a moment so we'd be looking for alternative sources of funding but again that gets to the project-based and sometimes unsustainable kind of um, investments but also it might come down to the fact that we just have to reallocate resources maybe stop doing something else and instead put it into our technology programs Let's talk about funding. I know that's on everyone's minds. What are the best funding sources for technology projects? Where have you found the most success? And I throw this out to the audience, too, because we certainly don't have the answer, all the answers here. Um, everyone is always looking for funding sources uh, for technology. But I, again, well, th th you know, thinking about it as, as technology projects, you know, a sequence of technology projects, I think, is the wrong approach. I think you've got to... Um, you know, maybe you partner with a a local vendor who is you know who is willing to, on an ongoing basis, support you know some of your technology initiatives, which may be you know boring and infrastructure based, um, but may facilitate some you know uh, appropriate you know much more kind of high profile um, systems, and, and and maybe you know maybe you you switch out. A you know maybe a program that you have in your um, in your institution is much easier to get funding for. Maybe you're funding it yourself, but it, it would be much more uh, much easier for you to get funding for that, and then put your technology funding you know kind of switch it around. I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> well, and I think in, I mean if you look at the. Um, you know the the impending uh, sequestration bill. I mean, all, you know, NEH, all IMLS, all these people are going to start losing funding, um, and it's uh, I mean, some huge numbers that they're going to be um, going to be losing if that thing gets through. Right, and, and so. Ooh, sure. Could you? Would you mind? Would you mind coming up here to the microphone? there and so uh, what we did which may be a little bit different than going after traditional funding sources Caterpillar had come out with a new uh, they have a foundation and they were saying that uh, in order for us to anybody getting money they had to meet basic community needs education food health and despite that we were able to take uh, we were trying to redo our website do crowdsourcing integrate history pin into our site do all this stuff and uh, 
we were able to sell them on a three-year, $30,000 a year plan to help fund that by saying how important we were to the community, their employees. We showed that we were vi getting visitors to our website and our Facebook from all over the world, from the countries that they came from. And uh, uh, we're on the third year right now, and the third year has been a little bit tougher. There's been a change at the, at the uh, foundation, and so we've been working to try to get the full 30000 that was kind of promised, but the first two years we got $30,000 to help fund this. Uh, and then Archer Daniel Midland and Caterpillar uh, was not our project, but they were involved in another digitization project. So I think that uh, selling it to your local businesses as being community enriching and helping them and their employees is an alternative way of doing it. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Anyone else have an example they want to share? What about uh, partnerships with local universities? Has anyone had success with using the resources of universities, whether it's student resources or anyone? Have you? Either of you? So, so the okay, go. So the, the commonality between those two things, if you were listening, is, is three years. So, you know, strate I mean, and that, that's actually really appropriate in, in technology. You know, things, things change fairly quickly. And, you know, anything more than a three-year strategic digital plan is, is, you know, probably a waste of time. But notice, you know, if you had a digital strategic plan, you could go to one of these universities, you could go to one of these vendors and say, here's our, here's our strategic digital plan. Um, can you help us upon the, you know, support this and fund it over the next three years? other 
I mean, I think the, pro the approach that you want to do there is you, you want to use the university. If it is a situation where you can't guarantee you know, the same people, I mean, there was a question earlier, you can't guarantee the same people, what you want to do is use their skill and expertise to, to build the framework for, you, for, for the institution to be able to support it. So they implement, maybe they get a, you know, Drupal is a, is a web content management system. So maybe they don't actually build a website, they just implement the framework and they do the training. I mean, that would be great expertise, uh, an, a skill for um, you know, students to, to do that kind of soup to nuts of providing some kind of vendor, you know, service-based support where they're not going to be in the business of doing the updating. They're just going to help you, you know, going to design the framework. They're going to implement the, the, the software itself, and they're going to do the training. Maybe they're going to write the user manual. So everything around it that allows them to get then get out of the business of having to provide the maintenance um, after it's been delivered. So what you want to make sure is that you're on the either the managed or the defined level of the maturity capability model um, so that there is some documentation that an intern can come in, you, you know, read it and... and I, I was going to say another use of uh, university students might be along the lines of doing research for you. Uh, we were, um, last year we partnered with the University of Minnesota um, business school professors whose class was doing market research and we needed some market research on the viability of doing a, a digital textbook an iPad version of our textbook and and they did an amazing amount of varied sets of uh, research with a lot of different questions that we hadn't even really considered so let me throw it out to you and say uh, what do you what do you think of all this uh, are you going to run back home and develop a digital strategy Hopefully you are, but any comments about what you've been hearing for the last hour? Yes. So what you want to start off with is, you know, you don't, I think what you want to start off with is a list of projects or things or platforms that you, need, you think you need to understand. I mean, creating it, if you're going from zero to a digital strategy, you know, it, you, you don't really. You, you, it's a process that you've got to get to over a period of time. Um, and it's, you know, starting off with a list of, we need to, you know, Pinterest, you know, maybe you're not on Facebook, you know, Facebook. So you list out all these things that you, you want to be informed about. And then you start, you know, you've got to devote resources to somebody to look at these things and make some kind of evaluation. And then as you evaluate these things, you, you know, you look at what other people are doing and how they're engaged with it. And then that translates into, okay, um, maybe we do need to get into Pinterest. So what does that mean? So 
and what that means is you need some kind of plan to get onto Pinterest and you know and that kind of backs into okay you got to look at your digital surrogates for example because you're going to be posting images so these things kind of you start off with some very broad um, pro either projects or platforms or things and then you you start you know looking into them and then figuring out how you can contribute and then that should hopefully turn into a plan of how you're going to get there. I would just add too that I think you start off also with a set of goals. Um, do I want to increase access to a particular customer group? And and and, and what Nick's talking about with um, social media is an excellent way. If you maybe and but you also might need to do something on your own website. But I also you know that another thing you might want to be doing is increasing revenue or increasing customer service. And so sometimes your digital strategy, if you don't have uh, a computerized system for your your development or your advancement, maybe that's an area you want to focus on first. Or another one would be to um, avoid costs. Maybe uh, your staff aren't being as productive as they could with the tools they have, and maybe you need to do something in that area. So I would look at those kind of uh, three major areas and then think about things within that. What are the gaps that we need to fill within those areas? I mean, and the, the other thing might be to ask yourself questions. You know, does our collections management system serve our needs? You know, if it's if it's yes, then great. You know, that doesn't have to be in your in your strategy. But if it doesn't, then you know you're going to start looking at collections management systems. And then if you you know if you find one that you think is going to serve your needs better, then you know you need a plan that is going to get you from where you are right now onto a new platform. You know, that may take two or three years. So as part of your digital strategy, you've got this three-year project to switch your collections management system. In the back. Yes, actually, it's that's a great <laughs> question because was it was he a plant? Yeah, he must have been. Um, ASLH thinks this is very important this topic, and so they are doing two things. They're recording this session, which will be available at some point hopefully in the near future on the website or to members. I don't know how they're going to distribute it. But the other thing is we're devoting the next two, I'm devoting the next two uh, History Bites columns to an, a two-part interview with these two based on some of the, these questions, actually. So look for the next two issues of History News and the column History Bites. We'll have an interview with those two. Carl, you had a question.
No, I, I agree with you, but I do think, you know, philosophically speaking, you you do want to you, you do want to acknowledge that there are two sides to it, and 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 there is a problem when you have technology people making, I think, business decisions. I, I mean, and it and it is it is an it can be an individual thing, you know, if if the it goes back to what I said of I've I've done it, I'm guilty of it of making of shortcutting, making shortcuts because I knew. The amount of time involved in something um, was was too much. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Unfortunately, we're out of time, and I know some, some of you have some questions, but we'll be up here at the front. I just have one thing. I do have another handout, which I distilled. I talked about the kind of two strategies that the Getty has, one IT-based, very stable. Um, and I do have a handout, and I distilled their digital strategy, which is really about goals and objectives and philosophy that, that may be helpful to you. It may be completely useless, but it also may help if you deal with vendors because our relationship with our, T de, our IT department is very kind of client-vendor-based, and it just, there just may be some things in there that may resonate with you. So this is available as well. I want to encourage you to fill out the evaluation forms um, on your chairs, and please, ASLH wants to know if this was helpful to you. Also, I would like to promote a session um, tomorrow, the, the last session of the day. Um, we're going to be looking at the history of the, or the future of the history website. So Rose is on that panel as well and some other people, interesting people. So what are websites becoming passe or what, what's happening with websites in the future? So hope you can join us for that. Thank you for coming. Thank you.